The gospel lesson comes to us this morning from the good news according to St. Matthew, the 21st chapter. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and then he will send them at once. Now this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the, they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and Jesus sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is the gospel of our Lord. Man, did everybody get to get outside yesterday for a minute? Yeah? I hope you did. Uh, we had a friend who is the new executive chef at this uh, reopened restaurant, the Brooklyn Botanic Garden, and we were invited to this friends and family soft opening yesterday, and man, I was sort of just astounded. I had no expectation. I've seen a little flowers here and there, you know, little signs of life in places on the sidewalk, but I walk in the Botanic Gardens. It's like dogwoods and magnolias in full bloom and all kinds of flowers, and it was just unbelievable. Uh, it, it seemed too early, you know, on the first day of April. It felt like an April Fool's Day joke. I couldn't believe how much life there already was, uh, and yet, you know, it's expected, it's expected that it's spring, there's flowers and new life again, and yet it's always unexpected. It always seems to arrive a little earlier than I think, and it's astonishing. Uh, in that sense, it's ordinary. It's something you expect every year, and yet it always feels like a fresh miracle to see suddenly these signs of life, knowing that there's just more to come week by week, day by day, and then to remember that just even last week, the week before that, it's frigid and dark, and it feels like death. And you guys, if you've been around, you know how much I love winter, which is not at all. But to know that right, this was being prepared, that these seeds of life were just right there, getting ready under the ground to show up as signs right on time. Signs of life. I want to encourage you just as we enter into this text and reflect on Palm or Passion Sunday together for a minute that God did come to give life. He came to give life and to give it abundantly, to see it spring from the ground everywhere, to turn into just a harvest in your life, in your experience. That's what he came to do is to give life and to give it abundantly. The gospels say, we've written these things down so that you might believe them and when you believe you'll have life in his name, new life. That's the point. 
Whatever else you've read about Christianity or think about it or feel about it sometimes, this is why it exists. It's why Jesus came to the world, lived as one of us, lived in obscurity for 30 so years, and then had a public ministry. And it's why he entered Jerusalem, the city of God of the time, here on what we call Palm Sunday. To bring the seeds of life out of the ground. To bring new life. Right in the middle of the winter of the world. When then as now it can so often feel like it's winter all the time. That evil and apathy and boredom and powerlessness seem to be the ones always up there in power in our experience. But then to know and to believe again with God that even in the ordinary there is miraculousness there is miracle that even here there are seeds and signs of life coming up have you ever had an experience that if anyone else saw it it seemed extremely extremely ordinary but to you you knew that inwardly in your mind and your will and your feelings your life was changing forever have you had something like that just looks ordinary to you to others i mean I was thinking of this, and you probably have a lot of examples, but one is when I proposed to my wife, um, this Friday will be 22 years, 22 years ago that we got married. I proposed to her just a few months before that. And uh, I had had all these grand ambitions and plans because I'm like a creative guy and I love theater and all this you know, kind of stuff. And everyone's like, oh, I can't wait to see when you get married someday what crazy proposal you do. I'm sure it'll be like some white horse on a boat that's somehow also on a mountain or something crazy, right? Instead, what happened is we were driving a stretch of what's known as I-10 between Jackson, Mississippi, where my wife was from, and Austin, Texas, where we were living. And I couldn't wait anymore, and so I pulled over on the side of a road in a farmer's field, and she thought I was getting out to throw up because I looked so sick and pale. But instead, I was just like, come on, come on. And I got in a muddy field, and I asked her to marry me. Uh, it was really ordinary. To anyone else, it probably looked like someone was getting out of the car just because they were feeling a little car sick, you know, on the side of a road in a nondescript part of the United States on the side of a highway. And yet, that ordinary scene in my life was changing forever. And so, so was hers. I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> Palm Sunday, like that, was actually so ordinary. If you open your Bible, it says, the triumphal entry. Well... Let's think about it for a second. It was really, really, really ordinary. In fact, in another account in the Gospel of Luke, right in the middle of the ceremony, Jesus breaks out into tears at the high point, <laughs> looking at his city and going, man, I tried so many times to be a mother hen and to gather you in my arms and take care of you like chicks, and you wouldn't have me, and even now you're going to reject me. So he's crying at his own birthday party. And in Mark's Gospel, Jesus no sooner enters the city before he hightails it back out, seeing that the hour is getting late. When he comes back into the city the next day, he sneaks in without any fanfare or any crowd. Ordinary. As we see in this text, as we heard in Matthew's version, humble, riding on a donkey. It seems like this party is over almost as soon as it begins. But could it be that on the surface... It looked ordinary. But just underneath that surface, there are miraculous seeds waiting to burst forth with life. Now think about a time that you were anticipating a big event, something important to you. Do you remember the knot in the pit of your stomach that you endured for many days in advance? 
how tense you felt, how jumpy you might have been, how now and then someone would catch you staring off into a space just lost in thought and anticipation. Do you know this feeling? Now put that onto this event. Enter into the mindset and the expectations of the handful of people who were there. Imagine them full of nervous anxiety and hope. Hundreds of years we've been telling this story that God's going to send a king or a great prophet and we would expect it, as the scriptures tell us, to happen at Passover. That great celebration of God saving us from slavery and we had the sacrificial lamb we put the blood on the doorposts of our houses and we were saved from death and we were brought out into new life and we wandered with God and by his presence into a promised land and now we're under occupation again and all the bad people are in power and we have no power to change and yet we know that he's promised and man, maybe it's this guy. He's doing some miraculous things. He seems full of authority and power to heal. We heard what he did over here and in that village, in that town. Now he's coming into Jerusalem. And they sneak off to see what's going on and to celebrate him coming. So I would say beneath the service, what Palm Sunday celebrates is not just something simple and ordinary or straightforward. In fact, the air is crackling with electricity as all the people in this drama sense that something big is about to happen. What all was at stake, we can't even really overstate or over-communicate right now. In fact, the scriptures tell us that the very hosts of heaven and perhaps hell, for as far as we know, were quite literally holding their breath to see this play out, the miraculous hidden in the ordinary. And what was happening? What miracle? Hosanna. It means save us or help us. And not just save us in the very limited sense of the sort of religious, late Christian way you've heard that phrase. Oh, I got saved. But no, the word is really simple. It's sozo. I talk about shalom a lot because it's a concept you kind of have some familiarity with where everything flourishes. That's what sozo means. To save is to fix everything, to make all things right again from the creation itself to human relationships to your inward spiritual state with God. Yes, to union, reconciliation, reunion, healing flourishing. They are crying out, sozo us, save us. Jesus, Messiah, save us. They're crying out for help. And then they're quoted this scripture, at least in the gospel. Have no fear anymore, child of God, daughter of Zion. Your king is coming. Your king is coming, and look from sitting on a donkey's colt. It says his disciples didn't understand these things at first, but when he was glorified, they remembered. So at the time, it was still ordinary, still just seeds getting planted in their heads. Why does it have to be a, a donkey and a colt? You know, why, does it, why do we have to go tell them the Lord has need of them when we bring them back? Which I dare you to try next time you're trying to hotwire a car, say the Lord has need of it, um, see what happens. Comes back. They go in, and it's, man, this is muddy. Man, he doesn't even have a saddle. I guess I'll take my coat off. I guess we'll throw our coats down. Well, someone's chopping off palm branches and throwing them on the ground. And then again, it's over before it gets started. And here's where I want you to see. I'm going to bring in a little bit of history here that's really important to understand what's happening and how it applies to us. 
And that is this. You wouldn't know it from this. You have to know history and study the actual historical details and records of the time. But Palm Sunday that we're celebrating today, Jesus riding into Jerusalem, the beginning of that Passover festival, actually, at the time in Jerusalem, was a tale of two parades. There were people gathering at two different paths to celebrate a king coming into the city. I'm being serious. I'm not being facetious. I'm about to explain it to you. At the other side of the city, at the same time, the same day, Pontius Pilate was riding in to the city to observe the festival and to rule over things. And so one parade is full of what you might call this sort of momentous energy. It's not ordinary at all. It's flashy, and it's full of armor and swords and trumpets and banners. Everyone's there. It is, to use anachronism, definitely being streamed on cable television. And then ours, small, ephemeral, ordinary, a few peasants, some children, had to tear palm branches off the nearest tree. It's a tale of two kings, a tale of two kingdoms, a tale of two paths in the world. One, Jesus would call a wide path. One that is wide and easy to walk and it leads to destruction. And then another path, one that is narrow and hard, but that leads to shalom and peace and flourishing. The question for us as we reflect on these for a moment together is, which parade do you want to show up to? Which king do you want to celebrate? Which path do you want to walk on? See, at the front gate to the city, this is the parade and the path of power. This is Pontius Pilate, the ruler of the time from Rome, coming in to the city that they've conquered and that they rule over. He came in through the front gate from the west, from the west, sorry, Freudian slip maybe. From the west, he had left his palace that was on a sea. And he marched into Jerusalem. He comes at the beginning of the High Holy Festival of the Jews when the population swells in Jerusalem from 40,000 to over 200,000. He didn't come to offer a sacrifice to atone for his sins, but no, he came because this, you know, they're an occupying force and this is a, this, these people are real religious. They're a little uppity. You never know what's going to happen. And so he's going to show up on behalf of Caesar and the entire Roman Empire, to let Jerusalem and all the surrounding towns and villages remember who's in power. He brought with him an impressive display of military might. The sun would have reflected bright off the swords and shields and helmets of the Roman centurions. There would have been a giant cavalry mounted on impressive horses, armored for battle. And then, of course, Pilate himself seated on a mighty war horse in full regalia. They would have thundered through Jerusalem from the front gate to Pilate's headquarters in the city that stood as the principal seat of power of Rome's occupation of Jewish Palestine. And he was there not just to inspire awe and admiration, so much as to inspire fear. To make the people cow before him and to remember Rome's great military force that 
Pax Romana that, that everyone enjoyed to remember that the reason it existed is because what they would do to anyone who came against them or to any traitors who dared defy them, and that is that they would crucify them on a wooden cross for all to see. And this then as now is still the way of the world. It makes sense to us. We understand power. If you can get it, you try to get it. If you can have privilege, if you can get it, you try to get it. Prestige, same thing. Everyone wants to be king for a day or much longer. To make money, to enjoy some new adventure, to experience pleasure or transcendence. There is always stories being told. It's a broad and wide path. Get on this path. Get as much power and prestige and privilege as you can. Follow us. Follow the crowd. Show them that you have swagger. Show them you're not going to bow down. Lift up your chin. Inspire people or instill fear in them and obedience. You see the picture? I've just painted it for you. Pomp, wealth, power, circumstance, obedience, fear, loyalty, hustle, the game. This is the path of power. This is the broad way. Of course, it's hard and that it's exhausting and we can never have it. And yet, it is kind of our default. This hope that we can either become kings and queens or be near the king and queen or have the favor of the powers of the world. The challenge here for us, without saying much about it, is to understand that this will always be the way of the world until God has finally sozoed the entire cosmos and planet and all of us. That there will always be this path available to us. We will always be Tempted and even by our own default nature now, living in a fallen world with broken homing devices, you will, what we call sin, that make us long for things we shouldn't long for uh, and not long for the things we ought to long for. We will constantly be tempted to go down this path to get as much power on our side as we can, as much privilege, as much prestige. And we will make as much noise to let people know about it, get as many followers as we can, as many likes as we can, as many subscriptions as we can. Meanwhile, through the back gate of the city, the back door, there's another parade taking place. And this, just for alliteration, I'm calling the path of praise. You heard it again. They brought the donkey and colt, put their cloaks on them. Jesus sat on these. They, the, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went before him and they followed him, shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Lord, help us, save us in the highest. And he entered from the east, not where the kings and queens entered. This is the equivalent, uh, if, you, if you, just for fun architectural details, if you walk out here on Clinton Avenue that we're on, you're going to see it's one of uh, the most prestigious lanes of, of the 20th century here in, uh, in Brooklyn. It's wide and full of beautiful houses. Walk a street over to Waverly, and it's tiny and small, and you can see because these old carriage houses, so-called, were where the servants entered. So all the, people, all the beautiful people in their fancy dresses and their you know, parasols or whatever they might do, walking down this avenue where just a little bit over, all the servants had to sneak in. That's the entrance that Jesus was using to Jerusalem, the back door. And he's not on a majestic war horse, but instead on a borrowed donkey. 
He's not surrounded by armed centurions, but a crowd of simple men and women and children shouting, throwing their coats on the ground and their palm branches. And they are claiming that he is now the king to come, the descendant of mighty David. They believe that somehow in this ordinary man, in this ordinary experience, there is something miraculous buried within that is going to be revealed soon to the whole world. And he's been determined to go to Jerusalem on this time, ever since we saw his transfiguration when he revealed some of his hidden glory to a few of the disciples. It said he set his face like flint to enter into Jerusalem and to go to this cross for this moment, to go into the tomb. He's been determined to come here. He doesn't even stick around like Pilate does. He goes back out to camp outside of the wall. There's no fortified quarters, headquarters for him to go in and take his seat of power. He looks around and slips out. He is coming again, not to offer sacrifice for his sins, but instead to be the sacrifice for the sins of the world, to suffer and die with and in the place of sinners like us, like Pilate, like the Jewish authorities who would spend this week trying to find a way to kill him, like the crowds who on this day are proclaiming him king and asking him to help and save, and by Friday are screaming, crucify him, crucify him. See, there are so many ways in which This is so ordinary, and even ordinary in its sort of pathetic sadness. But this donkey, this cult, this humility tells us so much about the kingship of Jesus, the path of praise. It shows us how different his kingship was then and how it still is different today. It's quieter. It can be easy to miss. It's very rarely on the news. It can seem odd and strange. He's riding on a donkey. It's less impressive. It's something quiet and hidden and ordinary. It's often in the back alley, off the main stage. If you are a Christian, you know that it can be like that. You know that the presence of Jesus, his kingship, his participation in your life, his authority can be like that. It can be quiet, it can be easy to miss, it can be odd. It could be less impressive than the things on the news or all the people you follow in your feed that look to be living these amazing lives. But I want you to make no mistake that Jesus' humble ride into Jerusalem and everything he does this week is actually powerful. It's more powerful than the power of the world, than the path of power at the front gate. Jesus did come to pick a fight. He's been very intentional about the conflicts that he engages in throughout his entire ministry. He's continued to draw stark contrast between God's kingdom and the kingdoms of this world. Give to Caesars what is Caesar, what God is God's. The kingdom of God is not like this. It is like this. This is how he spoke his entire ministry. He's drawing contrast between the ethics of servanthood and the ethics that preserve privilege and power. Jesus' cross will reveal that violence is not set right by more violence, but instead the violence done unto him in Jesus' cross displays to the world the never-ending spiral of death that violence brings that man commits against brother and sister through their abuses of power and privilege. But he, by absorbing all of this, becoming the scapegoat for the hatred and anger and alienation of all those trying to compete for power against one another, he comes and he says, and we didn't read all of this, but... It's quoted in Matthew. I read it to you. Look, your king comes. 
He's on a donkey, on the foal of a donkey. This is Zechariah chapter 9. It continues. Here he comes and he says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim. I will get rid of the war horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. I will speak shalom to all the nations of the world. My rule shall be from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. This is the power that Jesus came with. That's the seeds of new life hidden in the ordinary. Yeah, he's not what they expect or what we expect. It's not what Pilate expected. When Pilate finally comes face to face with Jesus, he's utterly confused. Read it this week. Read the Gospels as part of your Holy Week. Culminate on Friday and Saturday and Sunday. Pilate is utterly confused what to do with this man. This confrontation of two different types of kingdoms, two different types of kings, two different paths in the world confront each other, and Pilate washes his hands. He's like, it makes no sense to me. I just don't want to get blamed for it. Okay, you do what you want, and they kill him. Jesus was picking a fight, but his fight is to absorb the paths and practices of power and privilege and prestige and violence that undergird those and maintain them so that he could spread a reign of peace. That the seeds of this love and this lifestyle and this pathway in and with God are about to spring into the universe. That people are going to see and experience signs of new life, of new ways of being, of new paths in the world. Paths of humility and praise. One of these kings will win this week, but the other one will save the world. See, Jesus, you who come in the name of the Lord, save us, they say, and this is what we're called to do, to ask him to come and to save us and to bring his realm of shalom and peace, to convince us, to help us repent, to change our minds, to believe and to follow that this is the way to life, ordinary, humble, in great love. It like look quick. You know, like one of these flash performances that pop up somewhere in Grand Central or a little quick little rap battle on Fulton or something that happens and it's over before even it happened. That's all that happened here. And yet, the kingdom of God is being revealed to the world. And I think there's a couple ways to just apply this in closing. I think it's nice that he tells them, go, find this donkey and this colt. Tell the owner if they ask. You know the Lord. The Lord has need of those things. The Lord has need of them. And they'll send it at once, he says. Isn't it nice that the Lord still comes to us and says, I have need of you? And I have need of the resources that you have? That, yeah, I know you've just been spending the last years, day after day, feeding that donkey. If you're a nice owner, petting it. When they get a little cantankerous, maybe you get frustrated, give it a little kick. Ordinary stuff. But today, today, it's going to be the carriage for the king of the cosmos. Just so the Lord uses our ordinary lives, our details, even the overlooked ones, especially perhaps the ones that no one else has noticed. Jesus desired that his kingship his kingdom come about by borrowing and using the things that ordinary people have. And that's still the way he rules today. He borrows things that he's already gifted to us. And I'm sure there are so many things in your life that God could use that he could say, I have need of them. 
your gifts, your talents, your treasures, your time, your resources, but most especially, your heart, your mind, your will, your strength, your spirit. He looks at you, he looks within you, and he says, I have need of it. Send it to me. I will make it part of my path of redemption and healing. If we will grant to him those things that he has given to us, to give them back, to let him use that, to be present to this king and to this party and to this parade and to follow this path, then, like these people, we will experience things like this. He entered Jerusalem, and for a moment, the whole city started getting stirred up. There was this buzz going through the city. Wait, what happened over there? I heard some yelling and shouting. What was that? It's already over. I don't know. And the crowds say, what is it? Who is this? Who is everybody celebrating? Who's this guy? What's happening? And the crowds who were there, they said, well, this was Jesus. He's a prophet. He's from Nazareth of Galilee, but he's the prophet of God. And that could be us. Ordinary people, loved by God and loving him back in the alleyways, in our apartments, planting seeds of life, looking for little signs of life, celebrating them, pointing them out, and then people saying, huh, what's that about? Why? Who is this person you keep praising and celebrating? Provoking interest, sharing seeds and signs of life. See, two kings, one king from the world and one from heaven. Two ways, one of power and pomp and circumstance and fear and money and reputation and threat of death, and one way of humility, hiddenness, ordinariness, service, sacrifice, compassionate sorrow, dying to self for the sake of others. This morning again, believe with them in Jesus. Let him plant seeds of life within you and in our community. Look for signs of his kingdom this week and beyond, signs of his love, and then begin to see it springing into bloom all around you. Yes, you have to stop and smell the roses sometimes. Stop and look. See the signs of life. It is here in the waters of baptism, in the bread and wine you will eat together in a moment, in the community that he is bringing together across every nation and race and tribe and language. It's in a kind word that you give to someone who maybe doesn't deserve it in a small act of service, in all the ordinary ways that you live your life. The Lord has need of you. Let him use you on his path of praise and redemption. And trust me, this week, as you observe, as you read the gospel, as you look for signs that this is actually the path of life, and as you go to worship Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, look and expect That there, right now, under the ground, as Jesus goes to be planted like a seed, that next Sunday, we will celebrate that he was raised from the dead, that the resurrection is real, and he is still bringing new life over and over and over again in the ordinary ways that are somehow yet miraculous ways. Follow his way, his path, and be blessed this morning. I pray that we can follow him in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Thank you.